Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7? We are coming to the end of an extraordinary section in Matthew's Gospel, a section that covers chapters 5 through 7, commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus climaxes this sermon in verses 13 and 14 by giving an invitation, an altar call, if you will, even though I'm sure there were not the organs in the background playing, come just as you are, or something like that. But we, it was an altar call nonetheless to those he had been preaching to, challenging them to enter by the narrow gate if they truly wanted to find God in heaven. But as we pointed out last time, what makes the choice difficult is that standing in front of these two gates are false prophets doing everything in their power to direct people through the wrong gate and down the wrong way. They are like spiritual traffic cops blocking the entrance to the narrow gate while waving people down the broad way that leads to destruction. And Jesus knew this only too well. And so after he admonishes people to enter through the narrow gate, he quickly adds a warning in verses 15 to 20, which is where we are this morning. He said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree, the idea is healthy tree, bears good fruit. But a bad tree or a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Now, verses 15 to 27 are built upon two extremely important warnings. First of all, in verses 15 to 20, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets. And then in verses 21 to 27, He said, Beware of false professions. And by that we mean false professions of faith where you think that you've made a commitment to Christ, but really you have not. And we'll look at those uh, as we get farther along in the study. But in verse 15, Jesus begins with a single word, the word beware. The Greek word translated beware means to pay attention to, to keep on the lookout for, to be alert for, to be on one's guard against. And the Lord doesn't leave us hanging as to who He wants us to beware of. He says, beware of false prophets. Well, what is a false prophet? Well, last week we looked at what a false prophet is by first looking at what a true prophet is. A true prophet is somebody who was appointed by God. Very important point. You didn't just appoint yourself as a prophet. All right. Uh, God appointed a man as a prophet. And a prophet of God was somebody who spoke on God's behalf, giving people his truth, his word. And of course, a false prophet then would be somebody who claimed to speak on God's behalf, who claimed to represent Him, but did not speak His truth, but in fact spoke lies in His name. And as we said last week, folks, as long as there are those people who want their ears tickled with feel-good messages and promises of material blessings, well, there's always going to be a market for false prophets. And by that I simply mean anybody who claims to speak on behalf of God. It could be uh, pastors, teachers, preachers, or evangelists. As long as there are people that want their ears tickled, who really don't want to hear what God has to say, but want to hear what they want to hear, 
There's always going to be a market for people who claim to represent God, but will tell people what they want to hear. Look, the narrow way, folks, is the way of the cross. It's Calvary Road, isn't it? Where only those who are willing to pick up their crosses and deny themselves and follow in Jesus' footsteps are able to walk its path. Now, how will false prophets come? Well, Jesus said in verse 15, these false prophets will come to you in what? Sheep's clothing. Look, false prophets are dangerous because of their doctrine. And they're able to deceive because of their disguise. They come dressed in sheep's clothing. Now, in the Old Testament, this is interesting, a prophet was usually known by what they wore believe it or not, by what they wore. There was actually a kind of a prophet outfit, all right? And it was usually made out of very rough, rugged material like burlap or camel's hair worn on the inside, okay? And the idea was when you were a prophet of God, it wasn't an easy job, all right? It wasn't a cushy thing, right? You were foregoing the pleasures of the world to represent God, which often meant you were persecuted, you were reviled, you had to sacrifice. It was not an easy life. And therefore, they wore. Uh, they were in constant mourning. That's what you wore when you were in mourning. And these guys were often in constant mourning because they were preaching to people who didn't want to hear it, who persecuted them in the process. As these prophets told them, repent, God's judgment is coming, etc. We know that John the Baptist also wore one of these modified Tarzan outfits, Okay. Uh, even though John's name appears in the New Testament, he was technically the last Old Testament prophet. He was the one who came to introduce Jesus to the people, passing the baton from the Old Testament to the New. But John came in the wilderness, okay? And Jesus said at one point to the multitude, what did you guys go out into the wilderness to see? This, this character, John, right? What did you go out to see? A guy dressed in soft raiment? People dressed in soft raiment belonged in king's palaces. No, John came with an outfit that was rough and rugged and, and it, was, it was uncomfortable to work as his ministry was so difficult. Now, if you were a false prophet in the Old Testament times and you wanted to be seen as a true prophet of God, what do you think you'd wear? you get yourself one of these rough, rugged outfits, right? In fact, in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 4, God indicts the false prophets who, he said, wear rugged clothes in order to deceive. Now we come to what Jesus said here. And he's warning us of false prophets. But he says, who come to you dressed in what? Sheep's clothing. That's very interesting. Sheep's clothing was made out of what? Wool. And who wore clothing made out of wool primarily? Shepherds did. So just like the false prophets in the Old Testament would wear the attire of a true prophet... So Jesus said, beware of false shepherds who will come to you dressed like true shepherds. What he's really warning us is not to beware of false sheep, although that's important. He's warning us to beware of false shepherds. I mean, a false sheep in the body can do damage. A false shepherd can devour the whole flock from the pulpit. That's why they're so dangerous. And that's why Jesus said, beware of them, because their ministry is extremely dangerous. He said they come in sheep's clothing. They come looking like a friend, like a man of God. But inwardly, he said, they are ravenous wolves. Of course, you realize that wolves were the number one enemy or predator of the sheep back in Israel at that time. And once the sheep was snatched by the wolf, 
it was totally defenseless and therefore totally helpless. That's why they needed a shepherd. And a good shepherd would always watch out for the wolves, right? Jesus said that he was the good shepherd who loves and cares for the sheep. He said in John 10, verses 11 to 15, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he is not the shepherd. One who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. See, in those days, if a man had a lot of flocks, he couldn't watch them all himself if he didn't have enough sons or even daughters. Then he would have to hire people to shepherd his flocks. Well, again, for those kind of folks, it was a job, wasn't it? It was a job. They didn't own the sheep. They didn't really love the sheep like the owner did. And so consequently, if a hireling saw the wolf coming, he's like, you know, man, I'm out of here, all right? I'm not laying down my life for somebody else's sheep. I'm gone. And he split. And of course, the sheep were left vulnerable. Jesus said, look, a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus, of course, was the ultimate good shepherd. You know, sheep have no natural defense mechanisms. And that's why they need a good shepherd to watch over and protect them. (laughs) We think we're a lot tougher than we really are, don't we? When I was leaving the wedding last night, um, our own Wade and Joanna got married, and so we went to the reception. After we're leaving, of course, there's Christian cars everywhere, right? People there, you know, were from our church and so on. And as I'm walking out to the parking lot to our car, I noticed on one of the license plates of one of the cars, uh, the license plate said Lambo. Lambo, you know? Take off on Rambo, you know? I'm, a t- I'm not one of these wimpy lambs. I'm Lambo. <laughs> Listen, man, you may think you're Lambo, all right? But you're no match for the wolf, okay? Satan will eat you alive. You don't go fighting the devil in your own strength, by the way. You send the shepherd, okay? Because, you know, we think we're a lot tougher than we really are, right? Where's that devil? I'll g- you hear people talking like that, you know, on, in certain ministries, you know? Where's that devil, okay? I'm going to rebuke him. I'm going to take him on. I'm like, you're nuts, man. Don't go doing that. If the devil comes looking for you, and by the way, just serve the Lord faithfully, he will come looking for you. You won't have to go looking for him. And when he does, don't play Lambo. Get the shepherd, okay? Let Jesus take care of him. But Jesus said these false prophets come into churches dressed in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, inwardly they are ravenous wolves. The Greek word translated ravenous means, listen, destructively vicious. Destructively vicious. You know... Christians are wonderful people. They, they, they love the Lord. They want to think the best of others. And sometimes that love is a little misguided, though. Because I've heard a lot of Christians who, you know, think that, you know, false teachers and all, well, you know, they, they might be just, they're just kind of misguided folks that mean well, okay? And, and we, you know, we need to love them, you know, and, 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 and we need to pray for them, definitely, all right? But this idea that, you know, that they're just harmless, misguided people, you know, and, and, and we just don't, you know, don't be so tough on them. And look, love is wonderful. Paul said to the Philippians that I, I pray your love would increase more and more, but also your what? Discernment. 
It's very important that we be loving, but we be wise. Okay, be gentle as doves, but, uh, but, uh, harmless as doves, but wise as serpents. Because the chief serpent is out to get us. And we need to understand, okay, how he works. Uh, Paul said, we are not ignorant of his devices. Well, that is unless you want to be ignorant. A guy like Paul, he couldn't afford to be ignorant of how Satan worked. Because his ministry was in the crosshairs all the time. So we need to be careful, okay? Jesus is not saying these guys are just, you know, well-intentioned, misguided, but relatively harmless individuals. Jesus is saying they're dangerous, destructively vicious wolves who seek to snatch people away from the truth and carry them down the broad way that leads to hell. That's not a, a benign ministry. That's very dangerous. Now, sometimes these folks, these false uh, prophets know what they're doing. Sometimes they know exactly what they're doing. Uh, years ago, there was um, an actor. He's fallen off the map. Uh, he's still alive. His name is Marjo Gertner. His name comes from two words, Mary and Joseph. He, at four, was the youngest ordained minister in American history. If you ever saw footage of this kid at four preaching the gospel, he could preach the wallpaper off that wall, man. He was good. He could quote scripture, man, you know. He's preaching the gospel, walking around all fired up like a little preacher, you know. And, and, and people thought this kid was a prophet of God. He, this kid's a prodigy. He's a prophet. People would, were going to him to marry them. Come to find out later, it was all a big act. His mom and dad were a couple alcoholics who used this kid. He was talented. He had a good memory. He could really, you know, watch these guys on TV and he could imitate them to a T. It was all a big. It was all a scam to rip people off. Well, he became disillusioned, and through his teen years, he was relative obscurity. Nobody knew what happened to him. And then, when he got into his early twenties, he decided that he wanted to launch his acting career, but he needed money to do it. So he went back on the preaching circuit and did his old thing, you know, his old shtick. And I saw footage of him. Somebody videotaped this after one of his little crusades in his uh, hotel room with a bunch of his little helpers all around him. You know, they, they had piled all the money on the bed that they had taken for an offering that night, counting it up, laughing at these stupid Christians who would fall for this. Sometimes these guys know just what they're doing. And sometimes they're just as deceived as the people who follow them. I think of this uh, cult leader, Marshall Applewhite, who was the leader of the Heaven's Gate cult. Remember, they were the group that thought that they had been seated here from some other planet, you know, and that, uh, and that the mothership was coming to pick them up, which was hiding behind the Hale-Bopp comet. And so they had to release their spirits from these earthly prisons, they said. So on a given night, they all drank poison and committed mass suicide so they could release their spirits, so their spirits could rejoin with the mothership and then go home. Yeah, we look at listen to that, and some people want to laugh at that. Folks, this is a tragedy. These people are not benign, misguided. They're misguided, but they're not benign. They are dangerous. They don't even know sometimes how dangerous they are. They're just as deceived as the people that follow them. That's why Jesus told us as the sheep, beware of these false shepherds. How can we know these false prophets? Well, before we answer that, let me just say that some false 
prophets. And I'm just talking now about anybody who claims to represent God. Again, pastors, teachers, evangelists. With some of these uh, false prophets, they're, they're easier to spot than others. False prophets, and let me say this, I, I, I apologize that we have to spend time on this subject. I would much rather come here and talk about things that are a blessing, things that edify, how good God is, the grace and love of God, because that helps us just to grow in our walk with Him. And, but you know what? If the Lord Jesus Christ and His apostles did not warn us to beware of these deceivers, then you know what? We wouldn't give them the time of day. But the Lord Himself knew how important this subject was. And He said the closer we got to His return, the more we would see an explosion of false prophets, teachers, and even false Christ that would show up on the scene. So we have to be understanding of this subject. We have to understand what is involved here. We're going to be aware of these people. But false prophets generally fall into three categories. What I'll call deniers... Secondly, distorters, and thirdly, deceivers. Deniers, distorters, and deceivers. The first group are deniers of the faith. And these are relatively easy to spot, okay? Because, you know, they're anti-Christ and anti-Christian. These are the folks involved with things like Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, the New Age movement, the mind science cults like EST, and other groups like Dianetics and Wicca and Satanism. I mean, these are very easy to spot because these folks flat out deny and reject the Christian faith. The second group, a little harder to spot, but still not that hard for any Christian who's in the word faithfully. And the members of this group are those that we'll call those who distort the faith. Distort the faith. These are people who claim to be true Christians. In fact, they often claim they're the only true Christians. Okay? All the rest of us were out to lunch. They're the only ones that got the truth. They're the only ones who are the faithful followers of Jesus Christ. But as Peter said, 2 Peter 3 verse 16, they twist the scriptures to their own destruction. These would include Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, those involved in Christian science, Armstrong's Worldwide Church of God, and so on. These are the Christian cults. A little harder to spot because they mix Christianity in with their false teaching. But the third group, by far, is the toughest to spot. These are the deceivers. They're the ones who come wearing the cloak of a true shepherd. They also distort the word and teach heresy. But it's much more subtle because their message is mixed with so much truth and therefore much harder to detect. One author had this to say about this kind of false prophet. He said, and I quote, This is the one who talks about Jesus, about God, the Bible, the church, and the Holy Spirit. He hangs around with people who are true Christians and moves and mingles within the framework of evangelicalism. He's on the radio. He's on the television. He's in the pulpit. He's on the platform. He writes the books. He talks the talk. He has a nice smile. He looks good. He comes across very positively. He makes a lot of true statements. He does a lot of good things. But he's a wolf. And this is the one Jesus is warning us against, end quote. Look, deniers are obvious, deniers of the faith. Distorters of the faith are fairly obvious too. But deceivers are much more subtle and difficult to detect, and that's what makes them far more dangerous. Jesus is warning us of those who sound like Christians, who sound like they preach the gospel, who use biblical language, but they're really not what they appear to be. 
You know, they were rampant in Paul's day. In fact, many were going around claiming to be apostles of God. But they were false apostles. Listen to what Paul said. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 to 15. He said, These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. Look, their disguise is good. Jude says it's so good they creep into churches unnoticed. In fact, it's so good that many have become well-known, well-respected, and well-liked members of the Christian community. So much so, that if you try to point them out as false prophets, <laughs> a lot of the true Christians get very upset with you. Start calling you things like unloving, divisive, jealous, critical-hearted, judgmental, you know, and other things I can't even repeat here. The Christians that defend these people and these ministries often defend them based on the good that they have done in their ministries and helping others and how their messages are filled with hope and encouragement. So how could they be working against the purposes of God? Well, I challenge you to read the Old Testament again and see what the false prophets were telling God's people back then. Theirs was a very positive message of hope. Even as Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the other true prophets of God were speaking to the people of coming judgment if the nation didn't repent immediately and turn from its idolatry and immorality. The false prophets, just the opposite. They were telling people how much God loved them, how much God was going to bless them. I'll read you one passage, and I'll read it to you from the New Living Translation, so you can write it down if you want and look it up later in your version. But in Jeremiah 23, verses 16 to 22, listen to what God says. God says, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says to His people. Do not listen to these prophets when they prophesy to you, filling you with futile hopes. They are making up everything they say. They do not speak for the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise my word, Don't worry, the Lord says he, you will have peace. And to those who stubbornly follow their own desires, they say, No harm will come your way. Have any of these prophets been in the Lord's presence to hear what he is really saying? Has even one of them cared enough to listen? Look! The Lord's anger bursts out like a storm and whirlwind that swirls down in the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not diminish until it has finished all He has planned. In the days to come, you will understand all this very clearly. I have not sent these false prophets, yet they run around claiming to speak for me. I have given them no message, yet they go on prophesying. If they had stood before me and listened to me, they would have spoken my words and listened they would have turned my people from their evil ways and deeds. That is always a true prophet. A true prophet is always calling God's people to repentance. Just like in Israel's day, how Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the good prophets of God were doing that very thing. And the false prophets were saying, no, 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 peace, peace. God said, when there is no peace... You know, the problem with many false prophets back then, and even today, listen to me, is not in what they say, it's in what they don't say. See, this is the deception, right? 
The problem with many false prophets today is not in what they necessarily say. It's in what they don't say. They don't ever talk about things like sin, judgment, hell, humility, surrender, repentance, contentment with what you have. It's the last time you heard that from a, one of these TV guys. They don't talk about dying to self or personal holiness. They may refer to the cross. They may even wear a cross, but they never preach the cross. They appear to live good lives. They have loving families and have even done good things for others. But folks, that often pales in comparison to the good things they have done for themselves through their ministries. The early church called them Christ merchants. Christ merchants. They used Christ as a product to pad their pockets with as a commodity for personal gain. Peter said they come and make merchandise of God's people. Jude said of these individuals in Jude verses 12 and 13 because they had come into the church unnoticed, you know, acting like the sheep. And Jude says these are spots. In other words, defiling spots. A spot like a cancerous sore. These are spots in your love feasts while they feast with you without fear serving only themselves. They are like clouds without water, carried about by the wind, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Wow, I don't know what all that means. It doesn't sound good. I know what that last part means. But I think what Jude is saying, look, they come with all this promise. You know, in a very arid culture, desert culture, you're walking through the desert or walking through a place, your, your thirst is raging, all of a sudden you see a well, what does that promise you? Relief, right? Life. You go there, but it's empty, it's dry. You look at the clouds, rain, rain, pass by, there's no rain. They promise to bring life and give good things, but they can't. There's nothing there. They're just deceivers. For them is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Look, false prophets are everywhere. The church is infested with them. The church is infested with them. These are what we might call the happy Holy Spirit healers, right? The positive thinkers, the name it, claim it preachers, the tele-evangelist fleecers of God's flock. They prey on the widows, the weak, the undiscerning who like sheep led to slaughter, believe that these deceivers are really men of God and will send them their last ten bucks from their social security check, thinking it's going to go to the work of God, but all it really does is allow this crook to live the lifestyle of the rich and famous a little while longer. I would not want to be in their shoes on the day of judgment. Peter said their day is coming. Their judgment is sure. So how can we know who they really are if their disguise is so good? Well, Jesus told us. He said, you will know them by their fruit. Let's read it one more time. He said, verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the what? Yeah, I mean, God knows the good trees, right? And God knows the good fruit. God knows the good trees because He's planted the good trees. And He knows the fruit is good because they're planted in Christ. 
And he knows who the deceivers are. The firm foundation of the Lord stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who belong to him. And believe me, he tests the fruits. And he, and he challenges us to test the fruits too. You say, well, I'm not supposed to judge the hearts. Well, yeah, no, no, he's asking you to judge hearts. Just be a fruit inspector, that's all. <laughs> be a fruit inspector. Is that hard? We're not judging hearts. Therefore, by the fruits you will know them. How can we recognize the false prophet? Look, look at what is being produced in and through their lives in the form of character and conduct. We'll look at these more next time. Character, conduct, and listen, content of the message. I mean, look at the... Look, can I just encourage you guys? Don't fall for the trap of style over substance. You know, these false teachers, false preachers, they are very good communicators, aren't they? Man, they are slick, you know? They can really handle the English language. I mean, they're up there, man, and they're dynamic, they're charismatic, right? And sometimes Christians get wowed by the presentation and they don't stop to really listen to what's being said. The content of the message. Very important point, right? I mean, look, don't get sucked in with style over substance. I mean, you know, they're up there again. They're good looking oftentimes. They're wearing a $1,200 suit. They got this beautiful smile, you know, and then people go, well, how can this guy be a false prophet? I mean, look at how beautiful his teeth are, you know. And, you know, all the better to eat you with, my dear. You know, you, you, you got to be discerning, you know. And, and as long as we're talking about checking out fruit, how about the fruit of their ministries? Are they cranking out true disciples through their ministries? I mean, really, true disciples. I mean, wouldn't a true prophet of God crank out true disciples? You're always going to have a bad apple here and there, but a ministry should be known by its fruit, shouldn't it? I mean, a true disciple. What's a true disciple of Christ? Well, Jesus defined it in Luke 14, verse 27. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my what? Disciple. In other words, if you're not bearing your cross, denying yourself and following after Jesus, you are not one of his disciples. I don't know about you, but I don't know when I've heard one of these false teachers on the TV or radio, I, I don't remember ever hearing, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Well, they might talk about following Jesus, but it's not my Jesus. It's a Jesus who's an investment banker. And if you just invest your money with him, he's going to give you that hundredfold return. I don't know, was this service or last service? I was talking about one of the wives of one of these false teachers. She actually got on the radio and said, um, Look, you know, you, God says give and you get a hundredfold return. Give one car, you'll get a hundred cars in return. Give one airplane, you get a hundred airplanes. It's a good deal, she said. <laughs> Folks, that's not giving to God, that's investing in you. A true man or woman of God is going to encourage people to be like Jesus. To deny self. Take up your cross. Follow in the footsteps of the one who said, I did not come to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. I always do those things that please the Father. I have not come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. That's the mind of Christ. Paul said in Philippians, that needs to be our mindset. Not what's Jesus going to do for me. It's what am I going to do to glorify Him? He's my Master. 
I want to live my life to glorify Him. That's where I need to die to self, die to my goals and my aspirations and my agenda and live for His glory. Now, when Jesus said we would know these characters by their fruit, be careful. Not that we have to be careful with anything Jesus said, but just be careful because it's not always apparent, this fruit, to the undiscerning eye. All right? From a distance, the fruit may look good. But the closer you get and the harder you look, the more evident the disease of the tree and the rottenness of the fruit becomes. I mean, Jesus is warning us that recognizing a false prophet is not always an easy thing. It often requires careful scrutiny of the man and his message. And folks, that's not being critical. It's being careful. And that's why Jesus said, beware, right? Be careful. Be cautious. Because these, these wolves look like good, decent, honest men of God. They're everywhere in the church, too. And just because they have a gigantic ministry, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily men of God or women of God. We need to be careful, cautious. That's doing the very thing the Scripture admonishes us to do. When it says, test all things, hold fast to that which is good. Test all things with the Word of God is the idea. And hang on to what is good because it's of God. I'll read these to you. And then we'll close. I won't have you turn to these. Just write them down if you'd like. Acts 17, verse 11. After Paul had preached at Thessalonica, he went south to Berea. He preached the gospel to those in Berea. And it says in Acts 17, 11, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word, Paul's preaching, with all readiness of mind, but went home and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether those things were true. And the Holy Spirit commends them for not just accepting what the Apostle Paul preached, carte blanche, but went home and tested it against the Scriptures. I mean, that's what we're required to do. Test all things. Hold fast to what is of God. Why are we to do this? Because John said, 2 John 1, 7, many deceivers have gone out into the world. The quote, Philippians 1.9 again, Paul says, I pray that your love would abound more and more in all knowledge and discernment. Proverbs 14.15, the simple believes every word. That's the problem today. The church is full of people who just are too lazy to think for themselves. It's not that they're stupid. It's not that God hasn't given them the ability to think clearly and critically. God says, you know, come, let us reason together, says the Lord, Right? We are commanded, love the Lord your all your heart, soul, what? Mind and strength. I mean, we are to use our heads. Paul said to the Galatians, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? The word foolish means empty-headed. It wasn't a word that meant stupid, it meant, it meant intellectually lazy. I don't want to take time to study the Bible, just tell me what to believe. Oh man, that is dangerous. The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. I'm not going to follow any guy or gal until I know that they are truly a man or woman of God and their life proves it and their words show it. The only way I know that is by getting back into the word myself to make sure. And finally, 2 Peter 3.17 You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand. Well, we all know this. All right, We know that there's wolves out there and false prophets. 
Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Hey, those are great words of admonition. An important warning. Too bad so many in the church today are not heeding it. Why? Because the church has given itself, the body of Christ now has given itself a spiritual case of AIDS. Yeah, which means acquired ignorance of doctrine syndrome. You know, today we're being told when we try to challenge somebody a little bit, you know, wait a minute now, you know, what you're saying, you know, doesn't really line up with Scripture. You know, you're not really teaching the truth. <gasps> Touch not the Lord's anointed, we hear from people. <laughs> Touch not the Lord's anointed, as if that means I, I can't question anybody. I can't challenge what they're teaching. Or didn't, the, didn't the, the Lord say, Touch not my anointed? Hey, look. Saul, the first king of Israel, was God's anointed, wasn't he? He was anointed by God to be king. He got corrupt. And so now David is running from Saul who who wants to kill him because God's anointed David to be king. And at one point, they had this kind of a showdown, right? And David rebuked Saul to his face. No, he didn't touch the Lord's anointed. David had a sword. He could have killed him in that cave that he was hiding in and Saul came in. Didn't know David was there. One of David's guys says, Hey, the Lord's delivered him into your hand. Let him have it. <laughs> David, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. It's not for me to kill God's anointed. But David sure rebuked the Lord's anointed. Look, I'm not advocating violence against anybody. But you know what? If somebody's preaching false doctrine, good heavens rebuke them or at least warn others but see when you have that mentality oh we can't touch the Lord's anointed which means look we don't defend we don't we don't think for ourselves we open the doors of our churches to anybody who claims to represent God you give the body of Christ a spiritual case of AIDS AIDS is that insidious disease when it enters a human body the first thing it does is it shuts down your what? immune system which leaves you vulnerable then to invading diseases and and the pathogens which eventually wind up killing it really isn't AIDS that kills you it's something else that you your body can't defend against anymore when you remove the admonition from the body of Christ to test all things have your defenses up until something passes the test if you just remove that then now you've opened the body to any poison that can come in and any physical body that's too weak to purge itself of the poisons that have invaded it is a body that's going to grow sicker and sicker until it finally dies. The same is true of the local church, the body of Christ. If you remove that discernment, that challenging, and you just open your arms, that's why they're coming into the church unnoticed. Jude says these false teachers are coming in unnoticed. Because nobody cares to check out what they're saying. Guy's got a big ministry. He's got a big following. Hey, I want him in my church. I want to associate with this guy. I mean, his ministry reflects on me then. Yeah. For good or evil. We're in the last days, folks. We know that. And the Bible admonishes us to be very cautious, especially in the last days, because Jesus said deception would explode. False teachers would be everywhere. And we need to be discerning. Loving, yes. But it's not unloving to challenge somebody to see whether they're a true prophet or a false prophet. And if they're a true prophet or a true man or woman of God, embrace them. Pray for them. Support them. If they're a false prophet, kick them out in their ear. We don't want them in the church. 
And may God give us the grace to do that. And next time we'll look a little more carefully as we bring this to a close, this section. Uh, because honestly, um, it's a bummer. It's a, it's a drag. I'd rather talk about something else. But you got to know your enemy if you're going to defend against your enemy, right? Father, we thank You so much, Lord, that You've given us words of warning in Your Word. You've told us, Lord, what to watch for that will reveal to us whether somebody is a true man or woman of God or if they're a deceiver. Lord, help us to be discerning in these last days. Give us grace. Yes, Lord, we want Your love to be poured into our hearts more and more. We want to love people. And certainly, Lord, if we have uh, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ that disagree with us on non-essential doctrine, well, they're not false prophets. They're not deceivers. They just dis- we disagree on minor issues. They're still our family in Christ. So give us grace not to go on a witch hunt, Lord. Where if somebody disagrees with us, right away, well, they're not of God. No, no, that's not true, Lord. Give us the grace to, to understand when we differ on non-essential doctrine, it's, it's no big deal. It just tests our love. But if we differ on essential doctrine, if they are preaching a false gospel, then, Lord, we need to stand up, confront them. So give us grace, Lord. We want to be faithful servants, discerning Christians. And we just thank you, Lord, your word, if we walk in its truth, we'll never be deceived nor walk in darkness. Make us men and women of the word in these last days, Lord. When too many churches, Lord, do not even really study your word anymore. But we'll invite in the, the, the hot new program, the, uh, the best-selling author. Lord, give us grace that we not fall for that. The curse of celebrity, Lord, give us grace that we stay faithful to your word. And we just praise you. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.